Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. How do I get past cravings? I'm a chemsex addict. That's a great question. So what do you Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that? of questions inside that question. Like, just the same person? No. You know, no, when was, just... so there's two pieces, right? Um, if there's the camp piece, which is how long have you been sober? And are you completely sober? Are you doing other, you know, drinking or, or, or doing poppers or, you know, that's not going to be helpful. So part of it is, you know, how are you? And let me go to the sex part. If you don't get sober on drugs and alcohol, you can forget the sex part. Because if you get high, it's like, oh, I, I know I wasn't going to do that. But, you know, hey, what's the big deal? So I'm not saying that you don't have to work on them at the same time, but you certainly won't be able to do any behavioral stuff like gambling or sex if you're high. So um, and the sex part, just to say it, and then I'll go back to the whole thing. It's it's very deliberate. Oh, let me say it this way. What sex addicts long for is connection. We are some of the most isolated people on earth. I mean, really inside of us, we have so much shame. We think we're the only one. The more you can connect with sex addicts, you know, just even if you just go to a meeting online and listen, like the more you can hear the stories that you relate to, the goal is to reduce some of the shame. And um, I would be careful about, uh, there's a program in the gay community, if you are one, where it's acceptable to do any kind of drug as long as it isn't meth. And so I'd be cautious about that. Um, cravings are one, now I want time to jump in here, but cravings to me are one day at a time, sometimes one hour at a time, sometimes one minute at a time. And I can tell you one thing that it doesn't work is holding on, you know, and saying, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Um, and just for all of you, a better way of looking at it is I could do this. I, I got to, pay attention to this. I, I can't fix this by myself, you know? So anyway, um, there's like 12 questions in that question, but Tammy, what I missed, or do you have some thoughts? No, but like there's 12 questions in a question that's like one line, but, but you're so right at, you know, um, and I really appreciate it, Dr. Rob, how you're talking about, like, if you're focusing on, you know, just hanging on rather than how do I go do something healthy? One of the things, and, and there, are, there's so many resources, um, but um, one of the things that we talk about in our online work groups is um, some foundational components, which would be, you know, what's in your inner circle, what's in your middle circle, but what's in your outer circle. Those are the healthy behaviors that really, you know, and, and I love um, uh, one of the facilitators talks about doing it across to all of the addictive behaviors. I think that's really key. It's like, what do Can I need explain? to do? Being healthy? Not everyone might yes. know what an outer circle means. Can you? Okay. Explain? So, so Not the whole thing, one of the, the yeah, right, right. One of the foundational pieces is, you know, the inner circle, three circle plan. Inner circle is the things that would be a relapse, a problematic behaviors, chem and sex. Okay, those two things for sure and whatever else, you know. Um, middle circle, mm, I'm on thin ice. I, you know, these are like, I might be sliding towards, you know, acting out in one of my inner circle behaviors. The outer circle is the healthy things that we do for our recovery, for our life, for healthy connections. I've been asked before, you know, do the, do the circles change? And I always say, yes, hopefully 
the outer circle is getting bigger because your life is getting more expanded. You have more friends, you're doing more healthy activities that are real and meaningful connections in your life. So yes, hopefully you're learning more about, oh, this is good for me. I really like, you know, journaling or yoga or whatever it is you that you didn't do when you were acting out. Um, so learning some foundational components. We have lots of resources, the websites that are behind both Dr. Rob and I, tons of resources for, for everyone on both of those sites. And you can always email me and Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com. And I will help you parse through, you know, um, what might be most useful, but, but yeah, like if I'm, you know, thinking about, you know, no, I'm not gonna eat that chocolate cake. No, I'm not gonna eat the chocolate cake all I'm going to be thinking about is the stupid chocolate cake, you know? So, so it really is, what can I do to be of service to others? What can I do that will be a, you know, sometimes it's just a distraction. What do I need to do to get my mind off of that? So, so it's okay to, you know, to do something healthy. I like going for a walk. I like, you know, going hiking. I like doing things outside. It helps me, but. Um, so I want to add one thing, please, which is schedule. Um, yes. It is well. Two things: schedule and accountability. You know, if you are craving every three hours, you should talk to someone every hour and a half. I mean, and believe me, there are enough people in a twelve-step program. If you're involved in one, you can find twelve people who will talk to you every six hours. You know, I mean, you can do that. <clears throat> you may have to. Depends on how hard you want to work. You may need to stay with somebody. They may need to stay with you. You know, maybe you can't get past the cravings by yourself. But I was mentioning scheduling. I think if you can not only set a schedule where there's something for your recovery every day, but who are you checking in with and what are you doing in the afternoon? And <clears throat> I don't care if you write down watching the Great British Baking Show, you know, for two hours, because I'd probably do that. But anyway, um, make, sure it's, make sure it's on the schedule and that, you know, it's really we act out over unstructured time, especially for alone. So structure your time. Um, it also makes us feel like, oh, uh, as opposed to, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, I'm going to go do that. Um, yes. So anyway, uh, that's what I got. That's what you got. Let's move on. Yes. Okay. The next one. What's a reasonable timeline for someone to have non-sex related restrictions set from partners to make them feel safe? That feels like a loaded question, doesn't it? What is the reasonable time for someone to have non-sex related restrictions? I'm not even sure what that means. Exactly. Okay. So to me, this is a partner. This is what a partner set a healthy boundary for them. And, and so, but it's not about sex, but somebody is, to me, this is an addict's going like, how long should I have to go by the partner's restrictions, you know, oh, um, on, on me? Does that make sense? Well, kind of, I mean, Non-sex related, I think of um, like my spouse doesn't want it, to travel with me. Like it could be a phone password or I mean, it could be could be anything. I mean, it could be a variety of things. Yes. So, so I, I think I can just say a few things, which is to me, what a reasonable timeline is dependent on is what they're doing for recovery. You know, if my partner is being honest with me about what the, what's going on, where they are, what they did, if they're giving me access to everything I want to see, if they are, I know they're going to meetings, I know they have a sponsor, I know they have a therapist, I know they're fully engaged, they're reading the books, I'm not giving them the books, they're actually going out and buying them, or they're going to podcasts, you're not saying you should listen, you know, when, when they take their recovery as their own responsibility, 
I think that is when I would feel safe. And someone might do that in a month, they might do it in a year, they might never do it. So in part, you know, and I don't think you partners should feel like you're crazy. You know, we may say we're in recovery, we may be mouthing the right words, but really you have to see what we're doing and over time. So, um, so now I want you to, uh, add to this, Tammy, because I still don't quite understand. The only okay. thing I think about So to me, what it is, is I'm uh, like, and I'm, you wrote a one sentence. So this is the story I'm making up about this is I'm an addict and I'm going, I'm, ge- I'm getting restrictions put on me and I don't like them. And, and rather than going, gosh, I've done things that make my partner feel unsafe. And right. my highest priority is my recovery and my relationship. And so what do I need to do to make my partner feel safe and trust me rather than resentment, which, you know, if you read anything in the 12 steps, you read about resentment as our number one killer on all of these things. So, so what I read is I'm resentful that my partner is making me not be able to do something that I perceive that I want to do. And I hold that in a higher spot than making my partner feel safe and trust it, that I'm trustworthy and that our relationship is the most important thing. So, so to me, it would be um, like, not yet by a long shot. How's that? We teach a course about this. And if you go take a look at the courses on the, on the, on our website, which are both up there, um, there are one specific about this particular issue. And I would really, you know, if you don't know what to do, learn it. Um, I did write one more thing down that I think addicts don't understand, which is, um, I'll say it like I'm talking to someone, you know, I may have cheated you, but I always put the money in the bank. I always was responsible when I, you know, with our finances or with coming, you know, whatever it is, I was always responsible for your mother, taking care of your mom, whatever. And so why don't you trust me like with the finances when, you know, I never did anything wrong with the finances. I just did this thing, you know, over here with sex. And that may be absolutely true, but trust cannot be parsed. You can't say, I trust you. Either you trust somebody or you don't. And so until you have regained that person's trust, that's how long the timeline is. And you have to do it in some, doing some of the ways that Tammy's talking about. And I don't, you know, you do sound resentful, and I think that's not going to lead you where you want to go. Um, one of the things I write about, and you could also see it in some of the courses, is this idea that, you know, you're not an equal in the relationship anymore. You are one down. The, the moment you decide to lie and cheat, and, you know, now you lose the right to make the primary decisions and primary, when you earn your way back through trustworthy behavior over time, could be six months a year, then you have the equity to say, well, I want this and I don't like that right now. Uh, I would suggest you, if you're feeling like this, don't say anything and go to a therapist or a sponsor and say, I just so angry and see if they can calm you down before you go back. Anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, and the finances, that's a, that's a great example, you know, but I mean, we've had people that are like, I should be able to watch the TV programs that I want to watch and whatever. I mean, it's right. some of this stuff is so minimal compared to what you stand to gain by being in a relationship and lose by not being in that relationship. So, so I love that you suggested go see a, a trusted professional, like somebody who's really qualified in this area, a sponsor and go like, 
help me look at really how important this is, you know, because a lot of times, you know, if you get the right perspective on things, you go, yeah, I'm digging my heels in having a tantrum over and, you know, and I say this truly with love, I've been been there, done that. So, so this is like, you know, what is ultimately your goal? And if your goal is to be in a healthy relationship, and why would we not all want to have, you know, a healthy, joyous relationship, like that should be our real goal. How do we achieve that? Not by, you know, having a tantrum. So my back in the day, I got told, you know, I used to bang my high chair and I was like, oh, all affronted. But then I was like, oh, I'm banging my high chair. So like, I seriously say this as been there, done that. I'm not, you know, I'm not scolding or anything. So I'm not sure how that got into this, into this thread, but I'm because I'm having a tantrum, you know, <laughs> oh, so. I see. Thank you. Because what I mm-hmm. wanted to write down is you're not being punished. This isn't right. someone saying you did this and now you deserve that. These are this person's boundaries. And what I need everybody to know is boundaries are not for someone else. They're for you. She doesn't, she's not trying to punish you. She's trying to keep herself safe by setting these boundaries. And I think it's in the larger sense, you just need to respect them. You know, she's not saying I'm going to take away your toy. That is a little kid responding. She's saying, I don't feel safe or comfortable as a woman you know, with your being involved in this or sharing this or whatever, that's a whole difference. You know, now if you turn it into mom, I've got some books for you to read. But, yeah. uh, but anyway, enough. We did okay. good. I am a recovering SA 40 days now and have recently discovered that I could have sexual intimacy anorexia. Oh. Do you find that they go hand in hand? I have been with my partner eight years and have such a hard time being intimate with him. It was easier for me to go get a massage. Yeah, I think that so many of us run into this, and this is the hardest part of our recovery. You would think that stopping the behavior is the hardest part, but once we get honest with ourselves and really commit to change, over time, not acting out in that way becomes how we live. But the other side of it is, what do we do about having sex with people we care about? And if you think about, well, I'll just speak for myself. I grew up in a relationship with a parent who Uh, I was her caretaker. I was her partner. I was, you know, she told me all the things she didn't like in her life. In other words, my mom was just icky, icky too close to me. And that's in part what led to my acting out and and the way I act out. Because I don't act out in relationships. I act out pretty anonymously. So my acting out allowed me to feel like I was getting intimacy as an adult Because the truth is, is what I learned from my mom is all I learned about intimacy. And so to now walk back into an adult relationship with someone that I care about and they love me, and that is terrifying. Because the last time I had deep, deep emotional connection, I was used. And I didn't, I was taken advantage of. And, you know, I didn't learn how to be cared about anyway. So this, the bottom line is that all of us struggle with this issue past the active addiction And there are many ways to learn how to begin to be intimate. And Tammy talks a lot about uh, uh, sensate focus that's outside of us. So, which is a a process that you can go to about connecting. There are sex therapists who can help you as long as they're respectful of uh, sex addiction. But I'll be really honest because my partner's not gonna hear this. When we go to bed at night, we've been together 22 years. Um, If you wanted to be sexual, I would much rather read the paper. I mean, because on some level, being approached for sex is scary for me. 
if I have more control, then I feel safer. If I initiate, if I, you know, uh, so, um, yeah, it was easier. It's so much easier to get a massage because there's no threat there. That, that massage, you're in complete control. You can hire them. You can not hire them. You can say, I didn't like you. They can say, go away. You're not going to have your feelings hurt. We don't have the investment, the emotional investment in strangers or even with affair partners because we're not fully there. But we are deeply invested with partners that we've been with for eight years. And that makes it so much harder because of our wounds to be intimate with the people we're close to. The last thing I just want to say, because this is a good one, is that a colleague, a friend of mine said, he said, sex addicts seek intensity when what they want is intimacy. So I might be with my partner of eight years and, you know, I've seen that but before <laughs> and, you know, I've known them really well. And so um, if I'm going to be sexual with them, it's going to come out of the relationship and the connection we have. But when I'm looking at a sex worker or looking at porn or having an affair, that's, I, I, I may have not that seen that but before. We're hiding, we're in secret, it's exciting. And so in addiction, may not be good, but it's exciting. In addiction, when I'm acting out sexually or when I have sex, it's all about excitement and intensity. And, but it's not gonna be like that when you're lying next to someone you've been with for seven years, you know? I mean, maybe they put on a Halloween mask, but for the most part, you know who they are. So, and I'll just say this for me, sex in an intimate relationship did not come out of my being horny. It wasn't like when I was acting out like, oh, I want some of that, and oh, I want some of that. That's coming from horny. In an intimate relationship set for us, sex comes from being willing. It, it comes from being willing to say, I know I feel uncomfortable, but I'm gonna stroke their hair and I'm going to let them massage my shoulders and then we're gonna hold each other and oh my God, we, we, we were aroused and oh my goodness, we had sex and it was wonderful. If you were not headed toward, we're gonna lie down and have sex, but just be willing to explore physically and emotionally, you'll get there. And I, I will say this too, the best sex I've ever had in my life was when I was deeply connected in my marriage. I don't know why, I mean, that was intense and all that, but there was something about feeling safe and being this open with someone because how it's such a vulnerable act um, but I never knew that because I never, the, how different they were. So intensity is something if you're looking for in your relationship, you're not going to have. And if you've had that a thousand times, you might say to yourself, I'm not attracted to my partner. Well, no, not in the way you did that. But if you're open to connection, you will find yourself aroused. Um, and by the way, one more thing, sorry to talk so much, Tammy. One of the things that really bugs me, I think that we struggle with is I will be lying next to someone I love and I will all of a sudden get in the feeling like I don't want to be sexual with you or I want to think about someone else or, you know, whatever that is. We have to tell them. We don't have to tell them like I was thinking about someone else, but we, we need to say, I got a little distracted. Can we move back a step? Because first of all, they feel it. And second of all, we don't want to, we don't want to push ourselves into anything. We need to have control by slowing down. And if we notice we go here or there, we let our partner know, we back up. We don't have to be like, I will prove what a great sex partner I am. That's actually not intimate. Intimate is saying, hey, I'm struggling with this and I'm not, you're inviting your partner toward you, not by looking good and having the biggest that or the what is that. It's about being open. So I know I've said a million things, Tammy, I'm sorry to go on and on, but all- No, no, no. It was really, really good. And, and so I want to tag on a couple of things. First of all, 40 days, fabulous, 
but really early in the process. Right. Give yourself some space. Second of all, the betrayed partner typically is the one who has a say so over about when you know all of this starts back up when they are feeling safe and that there can be trust. Third of all, I would really invite you to not label yourself with something else. You got enough going on. This to me is such a standard part of, you know, the recovery journey with, with this. So rather than going, oh my gosh, now I have a sexual intimacy anorexia. You have intimacy issues, you know, like we, the guys that come to our treatment program, it's sex addiction, intimacy disorder. You know, what Dr. Rob was talking about, the intensity rather than intimacy. Absolutely. You can learn, but it's the scary process of being willing, just like he was talking about. It's like, I, I have to be willing. But rather than throwing another label up and going, oh my gosh, you know, now what? Like, slow it all down and and just be willing. And and he mentioned the sensate focus. When you guys are ready to re-engage, then slow it down. It's the whole, you know, can we get, can we hold hands? Can we, mm -hmm. like, it, it isn't about just having sex, you know, or performing or any of that. It's about, I'm, I'm going to be willing you know, to connect in a real and meaningful way, not the, you know, head fantasy stuff that, you know, that often is the case for, you know, sex. Addicts. So. Okay. One more thing, I'm sorry. You have to make sure. sure your partner no, no. knows that you get shut down around this. Otherwise, they might think it's them. And I think it's really, and partners, you know, even if without the sex addiction, people say, oh, maybe I'm not this enough for them anymore or that. And I think for you to be really honest and fair, say, this is the hardest part for me. This is what I really struggle with. Leaves your partner feeling compassionate toward you instead of feeling like they did something wrong because this is not about them. Um, so what do we got next? Okay, so the next one, mm -hmm. what is the difference between slips and relapses? My porn addicted husband is not telling me when he slips, looks at porn and masturbates. Does that mean he is relapsing instead? He's in a CSAT led men's group and will hopefully be starting SAA. He is convinced he is getting better because there's more time between slips, but I'm still completely in the dark. Tired of hearing he's in recovery and getting better when he's not open and honest. Clarification on PA slip versus relapse question. I am in a 12 step at the drop-ins and in a CSAT led betrayal group doing my best to focus on, on my own lane. Thank you for adding that. So, so Dr. Rob, thoughts? Well, I think it's important what you said at the end. It doesn't answer the problem, the question, but it is comforting to know that you are less reactive probably and more thoughtful in talking about this because you have support. And I think this is a very genuine question. Um, and actually, it's very easy to answer, at least technically. A slip to me is, we might say, an unintended return to old behavior. So I wasn't plotting for days that I was going to do this. I wasn't, it was probably in the back of my mind somewhere, but I went to a, I looked at porn or I talked to my ex or whatever it is that I did. It could be whatever. Um, what I do with that, if it's a slip is I feel terrible about it. Then I go tell my sponsor or my therapist or my clergy, whoever is my trusted person around this. And I give it a little bit of time, like uh, a few hours to calm down, maybe a day. And then I must go to my spouse and say, I, I broke my bottom line. I know you guys would like to know, by the way, the moment it happens, but you have to understand that, that we have issues <laughs> and I need to have some understanding of why I'm telling you, not just because I might run to you to try to you for you to make me feel better, you know? So in any case, a slip is an unintended 
sometimes we do, but an, uh, mostly unintentional, un, un, uh, what is that? Sorry, unintentional slip into old behavior, which is followed immediately by calling yourself out and getting help. A relapse is very clear. You do a behavior and uh, you know it's not a good thing and you know that it's breaking your sobriety or, or someone's gonna be upset and all that. And you don't tell anybody. You know within yourself like, oh, I don't wanna start this whole process again or they think I'm just a beginner now or you know, I don't wanna start my time again. So they just simply won't tell anyone. And of course, if you once you give yourself permission to act out and don't tell anybody, well, then there aren't any consequences right away. And so it leads them, you know, it's like the alcoholic who says, nobody's around, I'll have a glass of wine, no one will ever know. Well, um, so um, relapse is when you return to old behavior and you don't do anything about it. You don't tell anyone, you take any steps, you just move on in your life like it never happened. That's relapse. A slip is, I did this, I feel responsible for it. I'm going to clean it up, even if it doesn't go well when I talk about it, and then we can move on. And I just want to say one more thing to the spouses is you, if we tell you that we looked at porn or we stopped at a massage parlor, trust me, you're going to hate us. It's not going to be a good night, a good week, or whatever. but if we come to you, I do want you spouses to understand that the behavior is different. I may have slipped into something I did before because we have issues. There are mental health, there are addiction, there are all of that. But what's most important to spouses, what I've learned over time is that we tell you that what you will say is I hate them. I can't believe they did this to me. I, they've drove me crazy. Huh, but this is different. I'm not wandering in the round in the dark, wondering what they're doing. They actually, now would we want them to have a slip? No, but if they do, we certainly want to know what's going on. Then we're included. You know, then we're a part of. That's the part you guys are all worried about. It isn't even so much the sex. It's like, what the heck's going on in my life? This way, you know. I, I have to say one more thing about that. To you partners, and I love you dearly, but if you say to one of us addicts, and if you do this again, I'm leaving you, there's only one thing I want you to think about. You must be prepared to leave. Because if we act out, and we tell you or you find out and you say, okay, well, let's work this up. We have learned as addicts, oh, they say they're going to do this, but they're not really. So the one thing I would not throw out in a coupleship is if you do this again, I will leave. And there's two reasons for that. One is you better be ready to leave because that's what you got to do. Your word matters. And the other thing is you want us to be honest. You want us to come forward. You want us to share our problem with you for good or for bad in good times and in bad. You want to know. So understand that if you say to me, if you do this again, I will never, I'm leaving you. What you're telling me is don't tell me, don't talk to me, don't be honest with me. Because if you're honest with me, I'm going to leave. So that is, works against what we're trying to do, which is the most important thing was, which is we become honest people with integrity. There is a reason why I named our program with the word integrity in it. It's because I don't want people living in double, triple lives and saying they're doing, doing one thing while they're, while they're doing something else. So anyway, that's my big long answer to that. I think I answered her question. I, yes, and I'm gonna tag on a little bit, but um, uh, I get frustrated when people um, use, I'm in recovery. I, I have a, mm. a friend who's a CSAT and he, um, he would not let uh, his clients use the first 90 days. It was abstinence. 
on day 91, they could start saying they're sober, you know, and then it would be a longer process before they could say they're in recovery. And recovery is living life differently. And we talk about that's, that's a journey. And that, you know, the, the first little bit is like, you know, I'm hanging on, I'm not, you know, not acting out. You know, when, when somebody drinks, like there's people that binge drink and they go, I don't really have a problem because I only drink, you know, once a month on weekends. Yeah. Yeah. But, but when they do it, it's a disaster. Does does that mean that they're not an alcoholic? No, they're still having negative consequences of it. It isn't about how often it happens. So if this is cycling around, you know, and there's some sort of pattern to it, to me, that's the cycle of addiction. And, and there, it might be slightly longer, but you know, if you're finding out about this every week or every few weeks or once a month or whatever, we've had clients that, that had a site at, at our program who cycle like every 90 days and, and it, you know, like they've, they recognize that there's that pattern and, you know, they can be okay for 90 days and then they're going to, they're going to act out they're still an addict and that doesn't mean they had 90 days of recovery. So, so to me, the language is different. There's abstinence and then there's some sobriety where I'm starting to get a clue about some of these things, but recovery is, you know, I am like, we talked about earlier on the, you know, like how long before I can do things. It's like, I am committed to my recovery. I want in integrity to live my life. I don't want to lie to myself. I don't want to lie to others. That's, that's the difference. So I love that you're taking care of you, that you're getting support. You know, that's, that's what you have control over is you, you know, um, and setting healthy boundaries for you. As Dr. Rob said, it's not about punishing the addict. It's just for your safety. But yeah, as I, as long as, you know, as um, to me, that's, you know, so Lips are moving, but you know the actions are not aligning yet. But he's working with a CSAT. He's doing some things, but it, you know this is a twenty-four-seven issue. And if he's going to a CSAT once a week for fifty minutes, you know, and doing a group, great. But still, that's like a couple of hours a week. You know, there's a whole bunch of time. Dr. Rob talked earlier about structured time. What are you doing every day for your recovery? that's key to how we change. So anything else to add? Just a couple of, yeah, thank you, Tammy. You always like inspire thoughts in my head. Um, One of the the main things I wanna say with all due respect, and I think you should take care of yourself in this way, is I don't think that you're hearing about everything. I think we can pretty much conclude from this that um, unless this person's gonna get found out or you know, sometimes they tell you because they think it looks good or, but this is not somebody in recovery. And by the way, your question, I I say to every spouse, trust your gut. You know, when the person you love has really taken something seriously. I mean, despite all the craziness, you know, you know, and you can see when someone you love has brought something into their heart and when they're just doing it to look good, you know that. And this is someone, I think this her, this woman who knows inside of her that this isn't working, the very questions she's asking are questioning things I think she already knows. You know what he's not doing well. You know that this is what you feel and it's true. You know there's probably more. And the reason I say that part, by the way, is make sure you, um, you use protection. You know, make sure you don't have sex with him or whoever this is because maybe they're not not protecting you. And I just had a client at Seeking Integrity who had given his spouse an STD and she never, he never told her. So she found out years later, um, I want you to 
since you don't know, and for anyone, if you don't know your spouse is in recovery, you really don't believe they are, then do what you can to protect yourself from an STD. And does that sound harsh? Yes. Is it, is it something that happens all the time and you don't want to know about it till it does? Yes, you got to take care of yourself. Um, so I feel like dad, I'm like, take care of yourself. Yeah, yeah. no, but, but it is important. And, you know, and, and I feel bad that partners feel shame about having to go get this. And, and I get that on some level, but I'm big on taking care of my health. So I would want to be an advocate for myself, you know, um, but, but I understand, but like, if you don't take care of you, guess what, you know, your partner isn't so, um, so it really is important. So. And I want to say one more thing, sorry, you're in a CSAT-led betrayal group, and I think that's really important, but there are courses that you can take. Um, partners have courses they can take, addicts have courses they can take. We teach quite a few of them, and I know what one thing that would make me feel comfortable, more comfortable is, well, at least I see them working. They got a workbook. They went going to a class. They're calling some of the people they met in the class. At least I would see something that made me feel like this was an active process. There are also courses. You know, there are all kinds of courses. Spouses get theirs too, because um, you have a learning curve as well. But the reason we offer the courses is the amount of really time I've spent thinking about this, writing books about it, and I want to say here, this is going. This is concretely going to help. So, one and courses, yeah, they're online. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.